Kia ora koutou koutou, everyone. You just heard the jazzy music. We have begun the hoon. Cheers to you, Peter Bale. Live from Hoon Bay, or uh, from Freeman's Bay. Uh, Freeman's G'day. Bay. We're actually in the same place at the same time, which actually is some sort of um, it's the miracle. Second, it's only the second time we've done it from uh, the same room. We have done it from my house from two different rooms at one point. Mm. And, of course, we've done it from two separate cars at various points. I think we should keep sort of innovating on where we do it. <laughs> I got a feeling our audience might not be so thrilled after the various um, jugglings and uh, audio uh, um, uh, origami that we've done in the past. Um, Bernard, are you going to tell them what we're drinking? Oh yes, cheers to you, by the way. Well, we uh, just cheers to twice. This is the second time, like two seconds, we've done this, but yeah, that's yeah. normal. This yep. is uh, a gin and tonic because you've got to have a gin and tonic on a Friday mm. afternoon, particularly a sweaty Auckland. Friday afternoon. And this is, and, and remember, we're not being paid for this, um, but if someone wants to give us a crate of gin, we would more than well, happily even promote. Even would actually be, yeah, yeah. we'll do anything for So yeah. today we are drinking a, a, a gin by a company called Little Biddy, which is a New Zealand botanical gin, and it's called the classic Swan Dry. So this is a, <laughs> this is a cross-marketing exercise. It was on special. Because I got a funny feeling that when people see the name Swan Dry and Gin, they're thinking, "Oh my God, it's been it's been drained through the Swan Dry, and it's going to smell like the armpit of a farmer." But it's quite nice. I and, and who's? I mean, who are we to complain about farmers' armpits? No, exactly, exactly. It really is uh, wonderful to see you all there uh, on this. Um, it's not raining at the moment, day, which is which is good. It is quite a thing. So you can all recall that this time last week, uh, Peter and I were scrambling to get ourselves up and running because we'd been trying to get ourselves across Auckland after I misjudged how long it would take. And then we had this downpour and it was chaos out there. It's not quite so chaotic day uh, today. No, well, we as as Bernard, you, Bernard, as you said when I rang you to say that my neighbour was um, flying in on his helicopter into his, uh, you know, to land in his own property in Hoon Bay. Um, you said nature is returning. Yes, it's, it's, it's nature been is at least healing. a week since this chap's been able to do it, and I'm just, you know, I'm sure everything is just tickety boo now that helicopters can we're, land on residential property on the coastline. Yeah, no, we're starting to get back to our life. I wouldn't say as normal, but certainly the money is starting to flow again. I think it's so worth sort of looking back at how the last week has gone and some of the big events around the flood, starting with the flood itself, which um, was the biggest downpour Auckland had ever seen. Mm, and it wasn't 294 just millimetres in less than 24 hours. It was amazing. pretty extraordinary. And in fact, that was 54% more than the previous record high in 1984. And also it was... Um, such a downpour that it was a month's worth of rain at the Auckland airport mm. in one hour. And uh, essentially the atmospheric river coming from the superheated Pacific Ocean came down. It's still coming down. To be honest, it's still going to be uh, raining in Auckland until February the 11th, mm. someone told me. And of course, everyone will know that Lynn and I decided to move to Auckland for the better weather. <laughs> yeah, I do blame you for this weather, actually, Bernard. But um, I'm thinking me. of you as uh, El Nino and El, uh, and La Nina. Yeah, no, La Bernard. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I can claim credit or blame, whichever way you look at it. And uh, it really has, I think, changed our thinking. About um, for a brief period, you think so? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think our, our consciousness about these things. I mean, there was a, it was a kind of thinking of how briefly we think about these things, particularly in government departments. I was thinking about the um, 
Cook Strait Ferry and the, the Kaitaki um, running out of power, but get, losing its power in a store in, in the other day. And of course, you know, 1968, I think mm. it was, what the Wahine disaster. Yeah. Uh, and it was decided after that that Wellington absolutely had to have a um, seagoing tug in its um, in its quiver. Yep. And of course, a couple of years ago, they said, nah, nah, no, 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 she'll be right, mate. <laughs> really? No worries, yeah. no worries. So but they don't have seagoing tugs. Yeah. So it'll probably be some Dutch salver who would have to come down and rescue the bloody thing from Singapore, which in a tug could take a little while. Yeah, it was a, it was touch and go there for a while. There were a, a, plenty of people with uh, life jackets on and wondering mm. whether they'd get off. And that area around Red Rocks, right at the bottom of the North Island, is not a fun place. No. Um, even no. even with the warmer. I mean, I, I do want to – I haven't quite read a – actually, in fact, I think stuff the other day I did do, and I haven't read it, a uh, quite a good TikTok on that because, you know, the, the – um, for the captain of the Cook Strait Ferry to be able to put out his anchors and have them hold in those circumstances must have been a pretty extraordinary effort. Yeah, no, that's I mean that's the good news story there. Um, but back and speaking to- of anchors, Wayne Brown. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> throw, throw him overboard. Let let the chain go down. No, well, of course, as we discovered on Friday night, Wayne Brown was not uh, sitting on Twitter telling us all exactly what was going on. We didn't really hear from him at all until around 11.30 when he had an impromptu press conference that hardly anyone was invited to. In that time, uh, there had been an apparent delay in the declaration of an emergency. NZTA Waka Kotahi's um, communication stopped at 7.30 when someone finished their shift mm. on, t- on Twitter. Uh, a whole bunch of people really had no idea this um, weather bomb was going to hit, even though... It was pretty clear from earlier in the afternoon that something pretty heavy was going yeah, to well, go I, down. Yeah, well, I mean, 9.30 in the morning, I cancelled a, a planned trip to Paparoa to, for the for the bathtub race at the um, Pahi Regatta. And the only person who was stupid enough to drive up there of our thought was Matt Martell, who ended up getting trapped for 24 hours mm-hmm. in the evening um, in Walkworth, which, you know, as, as anybody who's been to Walkworth even on a dry day, it's no fun. <laughs> Well, we've just lost the walk with audience there, <laughs> Peter. Uh, and uh, obviously, an actual, a massive macroeconomic event, apart from anything else. We know now that there's been more than 30,000 claims. Uh, IAG, the Australian company that owns State, um, AMI, and um, a couple of other insurers, has just declared today to the Australian stock market that there are going to be claims of $380 million just, just, for, for, just for IAG. Uh, well, they, own, they own most of the big brands in New Zealand, don't they? They have about 60% of the general insurance market, both cars and house and contents. Uh, we've also heard from Suncorp and uh, from Tower that um, basically we're looking at a billion dollar It was weird. I only have a car policy with Tower, and uh, but yet I got... Remarkable number of texts, more texts than I got to from the, from them from them than from uh, civil defence. Well, you'd hope that the insurers after Christchurch had got some of their um, their communication acts together, <laughs> and it helps that this time around the insurers are going to be dealing with all of the inquiries. You don't have to worry about going to EQC as well. Mm-hmm. Although we see that it's possible the government might have to top up EQC that there's not enough money in the kitty mm-hmm. to start paying out. And then, of course, there's the um, the government's assets, the council's assets, all sorts of um, wrecked the roads, the water care pumping stations, the wrecked roads. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's a it's about a billion dollars, and of course, we shouldn't forget that four people died. Mm. And um, it's clear now that a whole bunch of places were built in flood. Plains. I think we're very lucky, also, Bernard, given the fiasco of the just even the Elton John concert, mm. which was ludicrous that it was you know sort of three minutes before seven that it was that it was. Uh, Turned to, that it was cancelled, 
I mean, you see the stories, we'll read the stories of the buses going out there, getting flooded, people praying beside the road. It was a very difficult and potentially extremely dangerous situation there. I mean, I actually don't... So, I am not convinced that the story about Wayne, Wayne Brown is the timing of the declaration of um, no. the state of emergency. It was really the lack of communication. And that was, and I felt the same about the Waka Kotahi people, the Auckland mm. transport people. It's the, <clears throat> and you're in that kind of situation, it's the, it's the absence of communication rather than necessarily overdoing the communication. You know, right. you can't wait for perfection of, for communication in those cases. And we, we know that from so many other disasters. But on the other hand, this was uh, so far from from uh, perfection that um, it was kind of interesting. It's very interesting also, and I know we're having Chloe coming coming in soon, um, Richard Hills, the uh, an MP, uh, uh, sorry, councillor from the North Shore, I thought particularly for his own people, but also just more generally, did an absolutely astounding... I mean, it's Twitter is his kind of home mm. and his place, but... Um, he did an astounding job of keeping the information coming reliably, accurately, and um, you know has really, really stepped up. And there's some other councillors too who use these channels, these social media channels, to get out there. Julie Ferry, who we're going to mm. talk to at five thirty, is one of those. The uh, Pukatapu um, uh, ward councillor on the Auckland City Council, who um, has been very good at sharing information about what's been going on, and also talking about some of these longer term issues about how do we rebuild Auckland in a way, make it spongier mm. so that the next time all of this rain happens, it goes into swamps and uh, ponds instead of blasting through people's houses. And Although there was also a very good point made um, by some of the hydrologists and the and the various geotechnical people that um, many of the parks, many you know, much of what we took pictures of being flooded, like um, Victoria Park and so on, are in fact intended to flood. And I didn't know that there are aquifers underneath... Eden Park, apparently. Oh, right. Well, well, I um, thought it was just filled with lion red. Oh. <laughs> well, we're very lucky to have uh, Chloe Swarbrick, who has joined us uh, on the move in Auckland. I'm just pulling uh, Chloe up into the panel. It's, uh, we thought, huge event for Auckland. Let's talk to the Auckland Central MP. Uh, and at one point, an Auckland mayoral candidate. Uh, I suspect there's a few people who would quite. Could you pre- do both jobs, actually, please, Cohen? I mean, not please. Could do you think asking you a straight journalistic question? Could, would you be capable of doing both jobs? I think that uh, I'd like to see great, competent people uh, in both of those roles. I think that they are far more than big enough for just one person. Yeah. Chloe, could you tell us about your Friday night and your weekend? You know, what happened to you, your friends, your family, and what did you do? Uh, so I was actually, um, I came out of uh, COVID isolation on Friday morning, uh, or I had my period up until Thursday night. Um, so yeah, quite a start to being back out into the world. Um, uh, and yeah, just doing um, admin tasks and catching up on a bunch of bits and pieces, um, was catching up with my younger sister uh, and her kids and uh, noticed obviously that the weather was taking quite a serious turn. Uh, and the first real um, understanding of just how bad things were kind of filtering through social media and the media uh, and a few constituents kind of reaching out, particularly through social media, uh, and then attempted to contact uh, Fire Emergency New Zealand, the Mayor's Office, Auckland Council, um, Minister of Civil Defence, and found uh, not all too much information. Uh, So then it was actually in reaching out to my frontline firefighters, who were obviously very busy, um, um, but they got back to me and said that this was unlike anything that they'd ever seen before. You mean, you mean the actual firefighters? Um, not you? Don't just they're not just your mates. 
Yeah, the actual firefighters, mm. yes. <laughs> the firefighters, uh, many of, all of them had come off of um, being off duty and they'd sent all of their equipment and all their guys out west at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I have it. Um, and again, um, I've made it really clear that my focus for the next few days and over the past few days has been uh, on making sure that everybody is safe and has clear information about where to get support and how to help if they want to. Uh, but there are some very clear communication uh, and systemic failures that I think a lot of people are very frustrated by and that we will be lifting the lid on when the time is Chloe, we were just talking about that. I don't want to belabor it too much. And I'm, and I'm, I am sure now you have a kind of bat phone straight to straight to uh, the, the mayor. Um, we were just talking about the – it wasn't just him. And no, 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 he's, he's copped a lot of flack for it, from including from us drongos. But um, By the way, we think that the collective noun for drongos is a hoon. Oh yeah, Drongos. No, and um, very on branch. But it was really the. It wasn't some. You know, there were multiple communications failures. It wasn't just. It wasn't just the mayor. There was this kind of absence of uh, even relatively patent. Like you can't get perfect communications in that kind of case. What, mm. what, is, what was your analysis of that from a communications point yeah. of view? So I'll give you a very simplistic brush over of um, my understanding of the kind of chain of command or chain of information. Um, you've got kind of. Our firefighters on the ground, which includes both our professional firefighters and our volunteer firefighters and our other emergency services, uh, all of that is kind of filtered through uh, FENS, Fire and Emergency in New Zealand, uh, who had set up, I forgot the proper terminology mm. for it, but effectively our kind of civil defence-ish centre, our emergency response. Uh, then they are the ones who uh, I understand are to advise the Mayor and Auckland Council under the legislation uh, for the declaration of, for example, a state of emergency. And then you've got kind of the Minister's office and from that kind of PMO and Cabinet and otherwise. So my read of things um, is very much that it wasn't the due weight being given to the account of those on the front line. Um, And I think that, yeah, as we saw in the stand-up and the information that flowed, I think, particularly on Saturday morning um, from Fire Emergency New Zealand, um, they stated that uh, they had not made the call at 6 o'clock, I believe it was. Um, Yeah, we're and debriefing and talking to our frontline firefighters who have, you know, really been through the ringer and been absolute heroes over the past few days, uh, past week. Mm. Uh, it was very clear that they were saying that this is unlike anything that they had ever seen before a lot earlier in the afternoon. And I think that all of that will will come out in and due course. Chloe, may I ask, do you, do you as an MP have uh, access to any additional information? I mean, do you, is there a a kind of proper, you know, WhatsApp group among MPs to share information like that? <laughs> Great question. Um, I wish I, uh, yeah, was not getting access to mm. any special information at all. That's why I was requesting, you know, from um, Auckland Emergency Management, uh, from the Mayor's Office, from Auckland Council, uh, directly to the Mayor uh, and to the Minister, and was not getting access to anything um, special at all. So, yeah, the, the most information that I had uh, early on Friday night was, was directly from our frontliners, and that's when I knew just how serious it was. Um, and, yeah, was continuing to ring around and try and get access to absolutely anything. 
uh, the information that I, you know, um, ended up circulating was that which I could get access to and then had to validate because I obviously didn't want to put anything out that could potentially mm-hmm. be misinformation. And um, so, yeah, it, it was quite, it was quite an arduous process, um, unfortunately. And again, I think that's, that's what I mean when I refer to those systemic and communications breakdowns because it wasn't until uh, probably even Sunday when we finally had those clear channels available to us as MPs. So, Chloe, just stepping back from the sort of the night itself and thinking about what's gone wrong here, why did, I mean, it was an extreme event, but even then we know with climate change we're going to see more of these extreme events and they're going to be more extreme. What makes Auckland vulnerable to these sorts of, it's not just surface flooding, this is through people's houses up up to their knees in 20 minutes stuff, what what about Auckland is and the way it's developed has made it vulnerable to this? Uh, wow, that's a big question, and I think you can kind of um, split it into two sides of um, the two parts. One is on the kind of mitigation question and looking at our emissions profile, and we have an interesting emissions profile because it's different to the rest of Aotearoa and New Zealand. Where if you look at the nation, um, our highest emissions um, profile is in agriculture, whereas for Tamaki Makoto, it's in transport. That kind of belies part of that adaptation question as well, which is the way that we have designed our city. We're one of the biggest cities in the world, land mass-wise, uh, and we have decided to utilise as much of that space as possible mm. to sprawl out into. Uh, and cut down a whole lot of trees, paved over wetlands in the process. And, yeah, I mean, the point has been really validly made as it has been uh, depicted and illustrated beautifully by the likes of Chris Hughes uh, mm. over the past few years and paintings demonstrating Waihori to Queen Street if we were to rip up uh, the... It's a bloody good idea, modern. actually, to rip up Queen Street. Nobody's using it anyway. We might as well turn it into a park. Yeah. <laughs> it's, perfect. It's, it's perfect for pedestrianisation and for a little bit of uh, water feature. But, yeah, yeah. Um, this is where, again... Um, you know, you speak to people like Nari Mublia from Nakatsua Orake, um, who can tell you the story of the streams that are underneath uh, the pavement and even our city centre. And you only need to look at Auckland Council's floodplains map, and you can see pretty much a perfect mm. overlap of where we saw that flooding um, accumulate and cause serious problems um, on Friday night and throughout, yeah, the rest of this week. And, so, and it's not, uh, how it's do not... we deal with that? Sorry, do you go yeah, yeah, and, and it's not too. Shocking. We had a sort of a preview with the um, the New Lynn Avondale floods in 2017, where there's a 50-page report that was done, which basically overlaid a map of the floods with the floodplain map. And, you know, it was like a sneak preview of exactly what we saw, but with across 25 suburbs, not just, not just one. Do you think that the council and the government could have, you know... Uh, been a little bit more aggressive on stopping development in floodplains or are we in you know are we in such a sort of rush I suppose to get development done particularly what I'd call you know single story standalone Mm. homes often infill oh you're turning this into a housing problem everything is always about housing everything's about housing and about climate it's all connected exactly and this is actually one of those events where the combination of our problems around housing, the types of houses we have, the number of houses, how they're built, how they're not really integrated it into the um, environment or the transport system, the lack of public transport, the increasing reliance on roads and pavement and cars and motorways has come together into this perfect storm, for the want of a much better mm. phrase. And I, I, I wonder, 
You know, when you when you think about it, um, let's say we we make you the 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 king of Auckland. We've made up a new title, not Minister of Auckland or Mayor of Auckland, Queen of Auckland. Or I, how, think, what, I think that's a bit too gendered, Bernard. I, the, the I very, think monarch, monarch, I think of, the regal, monarch of Auckland. the regal of Auckland. Um, what if I told you I was a Republican? Ah, well, okay, president. Yeah. There we go. So, what okay. what do you think we could do to you know if we're going to have continued growth in our population and we've got these existing issues, how should we do it? Uh, so, I mean, we've spoken about this before and you've written about it for, for years, Bernard, and it's, you know, reflected in even the Auckland Unitary Plan, which went a lot further than we've ever managed to go in the past, but uh, yeah, it's reflected in the special character debate. Uh, the maps of where you are able to build homes and where homes are being consented is pretty closely aligned with where power and wealth is held uh, in the city. So um, how, how do we deal with that? Well, we be honest about the scientific reality of the likes of uh, the floodplains that we live on top of. We be honest about the streams that we've built over in the land that we've reclaimed along Waihoitu, Queen Street and downtown Auckland and elsewhere. Uh, we therefore uh, start to unpack and you know, undo uh, some of what we've seen, I think it was Greater Auckland did a breakdown of where we've seen new homes consented over the past few years and we saw that, I think it was in a few kilometres from the city centre, that's where we've seen some of the least. Yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. had quite a lot in the in very, very city centre, city centre, but then it's the outer suburbs and, again, that pretty much maps over to the floodplains maps. It makes sense for us to be building um, far denser housing in places that are often gatekept for those who yeah, hold far too much power and wealth. Yeah, but we can do it. I mean, we can do some development which is planned and which avoided this sort of mess. So there's been a couple of examples. Stonefields, for example, had, had, was quite good at being quite high density, but having the um, marshlands and the ponds set up so that there wasn't a catastrophe. Same with Hobsonville, another one of these larger planned developments. Which Kyangora had a lot to do with, which, yes. is, which is another, you know, because Kyangora is being crapped on at the moment for some of its problems, but That's it did right. a very good job with Hobsonville. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a, a reinforcement of this need for, you know, integrated planned uh, medium density developments, which actually connect up with public transport and do the, you know, integration with uh, wetlands and ponds and uh, those sorts of things so that people can know that the home they have is part of a development where someone's thought about this. It isn't just plonking a thing out the back because you could subdivide it and you could put a townhouse yeah. out the back. And that that's one of the risks here, particularly with the, um, the new um, medium density residential standards which have gone through, is that you know, a real desperation to just get lots of volume in there, three-storey, three homes per section, is going to put a lot of square meterage of concrete and roofs up there. And we have to hope that someone is thinking about how all of those infill three three mm. townhouses per sections are going to, mm. how the, where the water's going to run. Yeah, I'm really gutted by how narrow this conversation has become and it's been presented as though it's a dichotomy that we have to trade off on um, for, for housing or for climate resilience. We can walk and chew gum, we can do both mm. of those things, but in order to do so, we have to confront again uh, 
the, the maps that reflect the power in this city and where we're protecting certain and, and gatekeeping certain communities and certain neighbourhoods from that development. Uh, because I think, unfortunately, part of the premise of the likes of housing enabling, which all of us can agree, more housing is necessary. Legis- uh, part the, the premise of that legislation is effectively leave it to the market. Mm. And we know that the market uh, is desperately weighted in favour of those who are far more interested in perpetuating the power and wealth that presently already exists. So it it really all boils down to that for me. Um, And that's where I think that we need to see far more engagement from the likes of Xiong'a Order to be developing these communities. We can also, uh, and we should be paying real heed to Iwi and Hapu and the history Mm. of uh, these cities and what they were before uh, colonisation. You're not somebody somebody who I think of as as having any appetite for inertia or restraint or slowing this down how do we speed it up and make it more effective and what well i mean it's early days but how how can you as the mp be effective in this and and how can we because my my worry is that a few days of rain few days of, of fine and we all forget about it yeah that, that's very much my concern and apologies to everybody listening no, no. i am sat in the ferry terminals to this event no in the background uh, but, but how do we speed this up and how do we do it right um well we listen to the experts um and it's really interesting because you know i remember back in 2017 um when i was actually working with my campaign manager hayden and we were writing the script for um the campaign video and the general thrust of it was you know, when we have a crisis, everybody responds. We have the frontliners out there. We have community help and community. We're not asking questions of each other. But when that crisis is moving in slow motion, like the inequality crises or the climate crises, we tend to allow ourselves to be distracted by the things that are immediately happening in our environment and rationalised away by politicians who can sell you a short-term vision of what you want in terms of tax cuts or whatever else. We have to deal with both of those things, and that's unfortunately the situation that we're in at the moment, is that we can't continue to kick this can down the road. So what do we do about it? Um, Well, I think that we actually get to the problem as I see it uh, with bureaucracy at present. Mm -hmm. That is that I don't know if it's as a result of kind of, you know, I was born in 1994, so I can't speak much to our history beyond uh, what I've read in this country of um, reforms in the public sector. But as I've seen it over the past six years, we have this bureaucracy, which is just like layers of the onion. And you've got uh, so many people whose job it seems to exist to be to consistently be risk averse and to make mm. sure that no one person is ever responsible in that organisation for doing the wrong thing, which also means that no one person is ever responsible for doing the right thing. Yeah. Experts are critical to making decisions, mm-hmm. but as we've also seen and you know has been well critiqued, as Bernard pointed out from the likes of the Mayor's comments uh, on Friday, Experts also need to be challenged, and that's the point of our public representatives. If I can say one thing to everybody, it's that we can't leave politics to the politicians because obviously our politicians don't have to reach any threshold yeah. of intellect or skill set or whatever else. And the kinds of the, the job interview is very different to the job that we do. The job interview is going out there and charming people and trying mm. to get people to vote for us, whereas doing the job is being able to synthesize large amounts of information and try and make those decisions, including where we're making those decisions. Mm. In Chloe, that, that, that inertia so I think that it's you. Community empowerment. That that, that inertia or the um, risk averseness that you talk about about uh, with civil servants does that not also apply to politicians, particularly in an MMP system with only three years? 
yeah, I, I'm I'm lost to um, obviously simplify the the three year because um, I, I know a lot of politicians, uh, particularly long serving politicians, tend to refer just to the, the three year thing as, mm. as you know if we went to four years somehow that would resolve all of our mm. problems. I don't think it would. I think that the incentive structure inside of politics is totally perverse, mm. uh, and what I mean by that is that. We are incentivized to make short-term decisions. We are incentivized to, you know, when, when you're faced with um, how do you navigate through the political system as a politician, uh, oftentimes you can end up rationalizing that you yourself have to be in a position in order to progress the kaupapa. You put mm. yourself before the kaupapa as a result, meaning that, you know, I've seen this across the aisle that, Certain politicians will bite their tongue or put their head down and just be a vote uh, as opposed to standing up for the things that they believe in because they rationalise that, you know, if they sit down to shut up and wait 10 years, then they can have their opinion. But my argument would be that if you wait 10 years to have an opinion, you might not know what your opinion is mm. anymore. Mm. And if you wear your mask so long, it becomes a face. Mm. Uh, um, oh, Chloe, that's, uh, I'm going to write that down. No, no, I'm keep, keeping that one. Thank this you. Is good. Um, uh, Chloe, I know you have to go uh, shortly, uh, but I just wanted to ask you about the government's decision to extends the fuel uh, levies and also what appears to be preparing to dump or delay the um, so-called light rail or rail line from the CBD to Mungri. The government seems to be talking a lot about bread and butter and the here and now and focusing on reducing spending and debt to get interest rates down. What's your view of how the government's responded this week? Uh, so on Auckland Light Rail, um, the government can back down from its decision to go underground uh, and go with the uh, view of uh, actually Nari Mubia, again from Mbato, the dissenting view and the Light Rail um, Establishment Unit reporter, I believe it was called, uh, to go above ground would be faster, it would be cheaper, it would be arguably more accessible and with less embodied carbon. So it achieves a range of the ostensible aims of the government. Um, to the question of the fuel tax uh, cut uh, and extending that, um, I don't have the latest figures off the top of my head, but from what I recall through writing questions and getting the costings uh, of the fuel tax cut and half-price public transport, I believe for half-price public transport, uh, sorry, for a fuel tax cut for three or four months, uh, it was the equivalent cost. Uh, it was it cost more than to make all public transport completely free for an entire year. Wow. So even from kind of a conservative financial uh, perspective, there are <laughs> obviously, mm. I would argue, better financial decisions to be made. But also we're in a climate crisis and our government is, I believe, one of the partners and um, it might not be formalised, but sitting alongside um, the... Uh, international forums on climate change um, to stop subsidies for fossil fuels. And, yeah, once again, we've got to realise that all this stuff is connected. Uh, Close Rawbrook, thank you so much for coming on to the Hoon. It's wonderful to have you on. I hope you have a nice, safe trip and a nice uh, dry, dry weekend. Thank you, Chloe. Wonderful to see you. Thanks so and, much. And thank you very much for being on. Lovely to have you. Thank you. See you. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right. Um, that was excellent, uh, Peter. Really good to to see Chloe. Um, so um, well, it's being connected. prepared to talk to two boomers. I thought was pretty good as well. Oh, yeah. I was going to take yeah, her we, up on that. Exactly. I mean, hey, we boomer. didn't even get you know. Okay, boomer. Okay, I'm sorry, okay, boomer. So, yeah, I'm boomer adjacent.
No, 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 no. I, I, as I told you, I got my daughter to check this out. We're definitely in the bloody category, unfortunately. Yes. Actually, you might be boomer adjacent because you're, you're a young thruster. Uh, I mean, we're yeah. both young thrusters, but I'm a slightly so, older thruster. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I think I've benefited from all of the um, accidents of history that uh, have made that um, cohort. And I was an accident, actually, yeah. Yeah. Good point. I would like to welcome now Julie Ferry, um, who is a ward councillor. Uh, for the Auckland City Council, for uh, Pukatapu, and um, Julie is going to jo- join us in a second. I'll just promote to panelist. Uh, pretty sure I'm promote. Here we go. Rejoining as a panelist. That's really good. Um, I've got to be careful how I do this that I accidentally don't promote one of one of our listeners. God, to that would be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Julie, can we hear you there? We can see you. I is- hope so. Oh, you sure. can. Fantastic. Can you hear us? Okay. Uh, yes, I just yes. need to turn my own volume up a little bit. Hey, Julie, it's Peter Bale here. We've been we've been communicating on um, Twitter, and I must say, you're one of several councillors who's been doing an astounding job of communication. I think both, but I mean, especially in your own area, which I think both of you, you I'm thinking of you and Richard Hills, really. You've kept within yeah. your own lane, in a sense, by by addressing your local people. But I, I've found it, you know, as somebody who doesn't live in your area, really very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Julie, we asked Chloe about um, her experience on Friday night and uh, how the weekend and the subsequent week has gone. Can you tell us, you know, what you, um, what happened to you, uh, the pe- your people around you, what you did, what you saw? Yeah, so uh, we were, I was home all day on Friday, um, trying to work from home, but a little bit tricky with uh, three kids around. Uh, and... Um, the weather just got worse and worse and worse. We're lucky we're at the top of a hill, but uh, I have to say that uh, down at the bottom of the hill, not the same mm. story. And in particular, uh, some of the street was very, very mm. um, deep in water by probably about eight o'clock, I think. Um, my husband went down and had a look and was like, this is like two metres of water. Uh, wow. And I was like, okay, I think you should stay inside now. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we, we've we been very lucky. Um, my family, um, we all live up higher in apartments, so we've been lucky. But then what became apparent through the um, on Saturday morning and through the rest of the week has just been awful. And uh, I think the idea that some people have had sort of a bad week of rain, they've had a ruined week. But other people, this has been completely life-changing. Yeah. And um, I haven't been able to get out of the house much because I've got a broken arm as well just to uh, add a further complication, can't drive, can't go out on my bike. Um, but on the occasions where I have been able to go out and have a look, it's just devastating. And talking to people, you know, I was talking to someone on the bus today uh, who's um, older woman uh, with a disability and her flat had been completely flooded out and her neighbours... And she had emergency accommodation but didn't really know what she was going to do mm. beyond that. And her one of her children had said, hey, come visit me in, in Australia. So she's actually going to Australia mm-hmm. to stay with him for a few weeks. Mm. But a lot of people don't have those kinds of options. And also, how is she going to clean up while she's in Australia for two weeks? You know, there's a lot of hard choices that people are having to make mm-hmm. and sometimes none of them are good. Julie, what do you think about the political prospects for change or political and practical prospects for change. I mean, talking to Chloe, she was referring to a kind of default mechanism of being risk averse 
also that the money in Auckland speaks more loudly perhaps than wisdom from time to time in terms of where we build and how we build and limitations on um, mitigation circumstances and so on. And, and historically, it seems to me um, that New Zealand in particular, and maybe Auckland in particular, has a real problem with genuine long-term planning, partly because m- many of the things that you do with long-term planning are hidden. You know, they're not an opera house, they're not a motorway even. Um, but then if you look at something like, for example, the way Hobson Bay has been opened up, although it still has horrific yeah. pollution problems, or that... Um, we were talking about Hobsonville, the Hobsonville um, property de- development. Um, you know, yeah. these, some of these things appear as though they can be done right. Yeah, they they can. Uh, in terms of the, the long term issues, I mean, some of that. Um, you know, I've been involved with Auckland Council and local government um, for twelve years now, so I was a, a, a fresh new face, uh, not so fresh and definitely not new now. Uh, at the start of the super city and. It seems to me that there has been, um, with that amalgamation, the legacy of Auckland City has in a lot of ways uh, driven a lot of the culture within the Mm organisation where I think we might have been better served had it been, for example, Waitakere City with their Mm. eco-city focus. Uh, oh, I see. So you mean you mean the Auckland stuff. City attitude has kind of swept through in this, in this or c- taken the leadership in the super city? What a surprise! Yeah, cer- certainly in um, certainly in the first sort of term or so, a lot of the, the cultural norms within the organisation. Um, I remember sitting down with some community development people um, after a couple of years of, of frustration, saying, "Look, we're not looking to cut this." We want to do this as a local board. Um, we're, we're your friends here. We're, we're not trying to find out what you're doing so that we can stop you doing it. Uh, and for me, that was a real sort of aha moment of actually these are people who've come from primarily mm-hmm. Auckland City and, and they're scared that if they tell the elected members what they're really doing, which is benefiting the community, then there'll be cuts and changes. That um, Yeah, so that, that was a bit sad. And things have improved. Uh, and there's some amazing people in the organisation who do have that long-term ethos, um, both at the political level and in the staff. So what can you do to promote but, that, Joe? What can you or we – I mean, I, I'm actually also tempted to ask you, I mean, a pair of old drongos like us, what can the media do? Because, I mean, if you read the papers sometimes, whenever there's talk about doing me- uh, certain papers, I'm particularly thinking of mediation or long-term projects, there's a kind of sneering disdain for the idea of yeah. investing in some of these things. Not from us, of course. A a lot of that um, sort of, I guess I'm thinking there about the fact that Auckland City artificially kept rates low for a really long time. Mm, mm. And some of that, fair to say, um, was driven by and continues to be driven by the media conversation around rates, uh, which I think is really unhealthy. Um, It's not holistic. It doesn't actually look at what's the purpose of rates. Mm. And, you know, I'm mindful that some of the people that we're hearing from um, at the moment in the media whose suburbs have been impacted badly um, and their concern is primarily for their asset as a house um, and and what's inside the house – are not necessarily clicking that actually this is a legacy of, of mm. artificially low rates, of low levels of investment, of not um, doing stormwater infrastructure in particular in a way that actually works with a community and creates a nicer space. Um, and 
they're still focused very much on their own circumstances and actually we need to think about this collectively as a city. And, you know, I'm not getting emails from the Kainga Ora residents who um, have lost everything, mm. couldn't afford continuous insurance. I'm very mindful of that. Um, the people who are, you know, emailing me with their reckons about the unitary plan, they have time and resources We to don't do, do reckons here. We do carefully considered really thoughtful opinions. I, yeah. I, I, sat, I sat through that unitary plan mega um, hearing uh, back uh, 2015, 2016, and uh, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, my reckons are well past. <laughs> Julie, is there anything in your, in your area that you, like, is there, are there developments in Auckland that you think are models for, the, I mean, not everywhere is going to be a model for everywhere, but are there, are there developments that you've seen either in your area or around the, around the, the city that you can think, they've put the sedum roof in or they've put the drainage in or it's really been done properly or that it's been successful and well i think there's there's news to come on that front i think as we as we unpack the data from what's happened in the last week but i would point to um hobsonville point which you Mm. mentioned before i was actually just in a meeting with someone who lives there and said it was amazing to watch all the storm secret stormwater infrastructure doing its thing uh and you know that it was a really good example not to say they didn't have some damage i'm sure they did everywhere has but um, there are so, definitely places that have performed better. Um, I was involved with Tianga Project, which uh, took two of the worst parks in Roskill, uh, Wormsley uh, mm-hmm. Park and Underwood Reserve, which are in Wesley, one of the lowest income areas of Pukitapapa. Uh, and that project, um, yeah, we get to have the data on it, but certainly in past events has significantly reduced flooding to homes, mm. which is what the original purpose of the project was. But the great thing about that project is that it um, actually worked with the community and created these beautiful parks for this community where previously there'd just been a concrete culvert Mm. and grass and a few trees. And now they're these really beautiful Mm. places full of um, native planting. The stream runs as it wants to. um, Because it's going to eventually anyway, isn't it? I mean, this is the – these water – I was – um, looking at that chap, Russell Brown was tweeting the other day about Miola Road, which was pretty badly yeah. damaged. And there's a video online of me of, of where Miola Road starts up in Mount Albert, and then you follow it down through various culverts past Alberton. And you can just imagine that those culverts, particularly, and the underground parts of that, just aren't going to be coping anymore. That's right. And, you know, some of the worst flooding in, in my community uh, is around Somerset Road, mm-hmm. which is a portion of Tiong Oakley Creek that mm. um, is constrained, basically, mm. and it's telling us it doesn't want to be mm. and mm. it's not going to be. Julie, um, there's obviously been a, a massive shock. Sometimes massive shocks change the way that people think about the world and change their approach. And sometimes, you know, politicians can... Um, see opportunities, you know, not waste a good crisis. Do you think that this is a crisis that will change the views of Aucklanders, the ones who vote, and enough councillors so that there is more attention paid on climate change issues, resilience around flooding, um, focusing on mode shift, moving to public transport, you know, opening up these... um, uh, uh, wetlands and floodplains and, and doing, as you mentioned before, with Taonga. Um, do you think that this might change things? I guess I hope. 
uh, on one level, it kind of has to, because otherwise we're just going to end up doing this again and again mm. on more and more regular basis. Uh, and if people really genuinely don't want that, then there has to be change. Um, okay, so again, again, let me anyway. ask. So you gave us a couple of really good examples of, or interesting examples of things that are working. I mentioned uh, yep. what I think of Hobson Bay seems to be very clever. Did Auckland learn the right lessons from the, when the power went out, you know, and and they had to run that cable up the highway? I, I believe Wayne Brown might have actually been the fixer on that one, so allegedly. But I mean, it, did did we learn the right lessons from that? Well, I have to say, uh, you're going back quite a long time there, Peter, and mm. I, I'm not boomer adjacent, um, <laughs> but I do remember that because I was at uh, the university. Primary school, yeah. And uh, no, 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 I was at university, 1999, I think that was. And um, I remember because I was on the student exec and we had to delay the start of campus, uh, start of classes by a couple of weeks. And um, I was one of the only people on campus. And it was a very, very eerie, strange mm. feeling um, to be in the, I was the welfare officer, I think, at the time for the Students Association. And to be in that building, knowing there was, you know, the lights would flicker on and off and all of that kind of stuff. And I would hope that people remember that and remember that that was about infrastructure investment. But, you know, I only just remember it. Mm. Um, and there'll be others who, who, you know, as with this event, some people have had their life ruined. Other people, it's just been an inconvenience. And what and about the market, Julie? We, we, we talked, I mean, Chloe, to some extent, talked in her our session about the market not being... Um, the sole answer, but of course the market's going to have to be some sort of answer. And I was wondering also that one of the areas that I've noticed that, that I feel has been extremely well done, uh, although I don't know how it coped the other day, is the um, um, area down in front of the fish market, um, the Winyard Quarter, Winyard, the Winyard Quarter, yeah. which is which is Ekipanuku, right? Has has is the owner of that land, but it's all been done with a kind of overall architectural plan. Uh, and yeah. then developed by architects and others and um, Mansons and everybody. But it's been done to a really high standard. I mean, how do we get that kind of coordinated thinking fed into market-oriented policies as well? And that's that's part of the challenge is, um, you know, in, in the area I represent, we've got a lot of kainga developments mm-hmm. and there's an ability there to master plan, to work with them, um, to negotiate to a certain extent as well. Um, their current mandate is um, pretty, pretty pro-community. They don't always get it right and mm. they haven't always got it right in the last week, but... You know, they're open to those conversations about, you know, can we make this park bigger? Um, how do we offset um, some car parking space with another impermeable, uh, sorry, permeable area, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But um, those smaller site-by-site ones, um, they're going to require regulation. There's just no way around that in, in my mind that um, the planning rules are going to have to say to people, um, if, for example, driveways, Right. So that's bringing a lot of concrete, a lot of um, impermeable surface that the water can't soak through into our city. But if we have a situation where not everybody needs to have a car and not everybody needs to have a driveway to park that car or to you know move that car for about two minutes a day, um, then we actually open up more space, yes, for housing, but also for those um, permeable For double cab utes to, to park, on the, park on the permeable bits. Good. Double cab utes. Yes. The yeah. Ford Rangers will will um, will be able to get yeah. through the power flood. Rangers. Power Rangers. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and on on that on that point of sort of infill housing and um, 
the medium density residential standards, the three-storey, three townhouses on one section, which when you think about it, that's an awful lot of roof, an awful lot of driveway designed to have two cars per townhouse. So you've gone from one or two cars per section to six cars per section. And and a relatively low proportion of greenery, um, lawn or uh, trees versus concrete and 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 roof per square meter do do you think uh that this event might change views on whether that um i suppose you could saw blunt instrument of um mdrs will will is a good idea i think i think that's solvable Mm. Um, in terms of you know the the infrastructure that we put around that, we desperately need this housing, you know, and we've just lost a whole lot more houses. So there's how no much, argument there. How much do you think? Because I, I heard that KO has lost quite a bit as well. Yeah, they will have. Um, I mean, we we have no idea on exact numbers yet, but there are definitely a lot more people suddenly needing housing than there were um, mm. yeah a week ago. There's no denying that. The um, in terms of the, you know, putting more roofs up and what that means, I mean, you've got a stormwater system there, right? And you've got some opportunities for how we create that stormwater system. Some of the design um, is already often a requirement for retention tanks. And uh, when I was on the local board, that was something we would often give mm. feedback on going, hey, what are you doing about the stormwater um, detention or retention? And, um, you know, what are you doing about local creek health and stuff like that? So there's, we, we do need more of a public conversation about this stuff because people just don't know a lot about it and they think it's highly technical and some of it is, but a lot of it isn't. A lot of it is mm. actually just once you know about it, you see it everywhere. Yeah. My kids get so bored with me because they'll be like, what's that? And I'm like, well, that's secret stormwater infrastructure, isn't it? <laughs> right there. You know, Kerbin Channel, secret stormwater yeah. infrastructure. Boom, secret stormwater infrastructure. So, you know, actually once you start to see it and think about it, you think, oh, actually maybe I shouldn't park my car, my, mm. you know, my ranger or whatever uh, on the berm because it's compacting the soil, mm. which means that that soil won't be able to soak the water up and my house will flood. So it's all of that kind of, you know, just understanding of, of how the earth works. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm by no means a technical expert, very much an amateur enthusiast in this space. But once you start to see it, you can't unsee it. And I'm, I'm hopeful about it. What that. about maintenance? Have there been problems in Auckland, I wonder, with, with, with maintenance as well? Because, it's, it's, you know, often with, with Waka Kotahi, we appear not to have done long-term and over you know, previous governments as well as this one, adequate maintenance on the existing infrastructure. What about the council? Is there a problem there? I think there certainly has been in the past in some of the assets we're talking about having um, failed over the last little while are quite long-term assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can give you a specific example from um, my area where uh, some years ago, actually, the, the roof of the Wesley Community Centre failed after only 10 years, which is very um, short for a roof on a new build. And um, we discovered that we couldn't actually um, go the installer or the product or anything like that because the previous Auckland City Council had sweated the asset, had um, cut the maintenance budget and voided the warranties. 
So suddenly he had to find, you know, $100,000 to, to fix that roof. So that's the thing is that, you know, when we make maintenance cuts, we're actually kicking the can mm, down the mm, road. Exactly. And we're making the can bigger and nastier with sharper edges as well. And so um, that's where I get very sceptical about um, proposals to cut the budget. But I have to say, sometimes the advice from staff is, yes, we can do this cheaper. And it's, you know, very attractive to certain of my colleagues who are um, fiscally minded above all else. Just on that fiscally minded thing and, the you know, the long running narrative about let's get rates down, we don't like debt, it's all bad. What would you say to those people now about the effects of those decisions, that thinking over the last 20 or 30 years and how we might need to change it in the next 20 or 30 years? Because... From what I can see across both main political parties centrally and, and also certainly the dominant, um, well not dominant, but the sl- slightly ahead uh, grouping of conservative um, councillors in Auckland, and we've have now got one in yep. Christchurch, um, there is still a lot of vibe, which is let's cut, 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 Uh, let's um, reduce debt, reduce debt, reduce debt. And what would you say to them now? I think what we've seen over the last week shows them, surely, that actually rates are an investment, that it's not um, we're just taking money from people and doing nothing with it. It is absolutely integral to the... um, to the success of our communities, to the safety of our communities, actually, that rates money is gathered and spent on the right things. We might argue about what some of those right things are, and, um, you know, that's political debate, and I'm down for that. But the idea that um, we could somehow charge people less than we're charging them now and deliver more, mm. um, yeah, that's just wrong. And I, and I actually challenged Councillor Williamson on this in one of the debates um, because he said he'd been going around public meetings saying to people, well, your rates have gone up by this much, but have you seen this much more um, in terms of council delivery? And, mm. of course, nobody in, in the Howick Ward apparently had. And so actually you're misunderstanding inflation. Inflation means doing the same thing costs more. You know, and actually there's some really simple stuff like that that I really hope my colleagues can understand um, and and come to a reckoning with us. When we make cuts, we spend less on our communities and in our communities. Yeah. When we pay people less, when we are actually paying our own constituents less to do less for each other. You know, there's a whole whole thing here and there's... You know, in the first term of council, I think it was, they brought over um, someone from the New Economics Foundation in London Mm. um, who spoke about the multiplier effect and in particular the impact that local government spending can have on the multiplier effect in terms of this idea that if local government spends its money wisely locally, then actually it often goes through the local economy three or four times. Probably a very familiar idea to, to you both. And for me, that was a real light bulb moment, was actually the money we collect in rates, we're also spending on local improvement locally. And it's all part of the local economy. It's making that money go round. And, um, yeah, we, we have this conversation every year about rates are too high. Well, actually, in terms of uh, nationally, Auckland's rates are not too bad. We're well Which is a media issue too, isn't it? I mean, this stuff needs to be... Yeah. Bit, we, need to, we need to explain it better 
New Zealand media needs to explain it, and the politicians need to. I, I think basically what we need, though, is a gigantic stadium on the waterfront so that we can house the refugees, because that worked brilliantly in Cyclone Katrina. Yeah, what we actually need is a GoFundMe page to um, buy out the contracts of Mike Hosking and Bernard Walsman. <laughs> <laughs> And get them to retire. No comment. No comment, no. Yeah. Uh, Julie, it's wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for um, uh, talking to us this afternoon. I know you got a lot on. And, Thanks, um, Thank uh, you. And seriously, you have been absolutely brilliant on Twitter. And I, I, I think it's, it's terrific you. to see you and Richard Hills and others engaging so closely with the communities. Can you imagine? Thank you. you. I have to say Richard's been a great example to yeah. me. And um, I've, uh, yeah, I've really learned, learning and learned a lot from him over the years and yeah. some of my other comments. I was also terms. impressed, you might have been busy talking to us, but, you know, um, Wayne Brown has come out and apologised for being ineffective. Yes, in the, I and I thought, that. good on him, you know. I thought that was an excellent little video that he did. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we've got a lot of issues to deal with over the next little while uh, after this, but um, I'm quite hopeful about the future. Yeah, good. Thank you very Ka- much, Julie. Ka- uh, Ju- Thank Julie, you. Julie Ferry, uh, a councillor with the Auckland Council. It's been a, a great um, afternoon. We've, we've Well, it's gone a bit local, Bernard. I mean, we've barely mm. talked about Ukraine. Poor old Julie is sitting there. She doesn't want to sit, sit around and listen to this. <laughs> we, could, we could pop you Actually, back Kiev's, into... Actually, the infrastructure in Kiev has been a bit knocked about lately, so we can... <laughs> I'm afraid I don't know much about that. Uh, yeah, well, actually, we and the weather's not terribly good no, there either. No, no, we. I mean, it's it's tough. Been tough for a lot of people in Auckland, but there's some other tough places yeah. too. Thank you very much. I shall pop you back into the attendee. Thank you. See you. Cheers. Bye, Joe. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, so we, we, we. I don't think it was it was a week to go local, yeah. and I think actually on this whole climate change thing, there will be one of those reports that comes out in probably a month. And it will say that without global warming, the chances of this happening would have been much less, mm. except that we also know that, you know, La Nina, um, El Nino are, are really huge factors here as well. And they, they will have contributed to that. But you can't have three degrees, I think, as we've had two or three degrees of uh, ocean warming, warming around New Zealand and it not have exactly this kind of impact. Right. It's pretty clear. The so, atmospheric river comes from all that warm, warming Pacific Ocean, and it, it dumped on us. And yeah. uh, we're going to see more of this dumping, sadly. And um, from, from my point of view, I hope this is one of those aha moments. For example, this afternoon, we've seen reporting that a whole bunch of insurance companies are now moving to either massively increase the premiums on, on uh, seaside, cliff, cliff bottom, cliff top. Jesus Christ, and, that's going to put me in trouble, Bernard. I can't have that, especially oh, well. since my neighbour's entire cliff fell into the sea. But yeah. 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 Um, Jesus. And, and we don't want any of that. No, and floodplain property. And I think we're about to have a moment of climate truth where the financial risk rubber hits the road and actually it's the insurance companies and the banks and asset values who really drive the debate. And one of the big uh, uh, blowback risks, I think, in this debate is that a whole bunch of people suddenly discover climate change uh, who maybe have been sceptical or ignorant or uh or self-interested, or they, or they find a self-interested way to get yeah. into it, which or, is excellent. Or d- d- <laughs> public views change for all sorts of reasons, but um, it is. I think we're in one of those aha moments, and uh, the risk here is that a whole bunch of people go, hang on a minute, that's not fair, that suddenly I can't sell my house, because what happens mm. when there's no insurance, the bank will not give you a loan, which means that that land and that house on that land is unbankable, which means it's worthless, as we've seen with the... It's fallen down the bank in a completely different way. Yes. Uh, it, when you look at leasehold land, 
leaky uh, land. Basically, once you lose the ability to gear it up, then it becomes worthless. And then you start to hear comments from landowners who have built their lives around tax-free leverage gains going, hang on a minute, this is not the New Zealand way. Someone needs to bail me out. And it's interesting, in some US states, there, there have been interventions by the governments to essentially create uh, flood insurance where the private mm. sector is pulled out. And that will be one of the risks here is that in the blowback, in the, the shock, a whole bunch of people use it to try to get the Crown and the state to uh, um, socialise the losses and privatise oh. the gains. Oh, that would never happen in New Zealand. Yeah. So um, that's um, that's been a big old week. We've got a, a word of the day. For yeah, us. we've got a word. What's well, the word of the week, really? Yes. Um, yes. I, I did. I did do it about originally about what the word woke because there's a fabulous podcast which I encourage everybody to look at from the New Yorker this week about um, what the word woke really means and how it's been weaponised by the right. Um, but the, of course, the word of the week is um, drongo. Drongo. And I'm pretty firmly the view that the plural of drongos is D-R-O-N-G-O-S, not O-E-S, as oh. you had in the kaka oh. the other day. And the from the Macquarie Dictionary's Insult of the Week column, a drongo is a slow-witted or stupid person, a fool. This great Australian insult was originally a Royal Australian Air Force term for a raw recruit. recruit. It first appeared in the 1940s, but its origin reaches back to the name of a racehorse, drongo, who ran around in the early 1920s. It was no far lap. Drongo was famed for its poor form, poor form, never winning a race, and was used as a character in the political cartoons of Sammy Wells that appeared in the Melbourne Herald. Some have suggested, and my father used to suggest this, that the use of uh, Drongo as an insult refers to the spangled Drongo, a tropical bird of northeastern Australia, but there isn't, doesn't appear to be any obvious connection, so we'll stick with the horse story, which is a better yarn anyway. Ah, Drongo, and I bet he was lapped by far lap. I'm not sure, Bernard, but it was about that time. <laughs> and it's also, you're right, there's an Australianness to that phrase. Oh, yeah, you're bloody drongo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're gonna, well, we got, we, we've already talked sometimes about skerricks. Oh, yeah. And stouches. Stouches, that's an And, Australian. of course, let's not be a couple of galahs and galahs. stop and these people from getting on to Or having a the... leadership spill. Yeah, that's, the other that's one. right, that's right. And um, first, I worked in Australia and Covering, covering politics there for five years, and <coughs> when I first heard this phrase "furfy," ah uh, yes, I've no. And do you know what a furf, Do you know where it comes from? Uh, tell us. So it's a First World War term because the people who used to make the latrines, uh, which is an Australian company called Furfy, that were shipped over there for the um, and water and water tanks, that people were either coming out of a Furfy latrine or talking beside a Furfy water spout would say that's the kind of thing I hear around a furphy. So this is like it's a, a furphy. This is like a... It's a, a made-up tale. False, false it's a rumor. Exactly. So no furphies See, on the it, this is this. Not only is the hoon fun, uh, enjoyable, politically astute, it's also educational. Absolutely, yes. Hey, thank you very much, everyone. It's been a wonderful Friday night. We shall put this up in podcast form, of course. Thank you to Peter Bale, our co-host, to Julie Ferry and Close Warbuck. Ka kite ono, everyone. Thank Have you very much, one. everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye.